So we wrap up our sermon series on vision and values with this final value on life transformation. Good morning and welcome to all of you there in the fellowship hall. If you are new to Taylor's here, we worship in two rooms uh, this second hour. So it was a joy to have you uh, here at Taylor's and those who are watching online as well. Uh, we're grateful that you're joining us for the preaching of the word this morning. Go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 18 is where we're going to begin. We're going to look at three passages this morning. So if you have a copy of the Word of God, uh, go ahead and open that or maybe on your digital device you can find your place, the book of Jeremiah. If you're new to Bible study, that's in the Old Testament. And so maybe you can find your way as we set up what is our last Sunday together dealing with our vision and values. And when it comes to life transformation, and we talk about the health of individuals, what we're after here is understanding this, that the mission that Jesus has given us is simply not a mission statement and a set of values that make us a good organization, that doesn't really align us well structurally, but doesn't produce what Jesus is ultimately after in the church. For instance, whenever I, over the last few weeks, have gone to a restaurant or I've gone to play, a place where they have their vision and values, I stop and I take a look and, and I notice. And I, for instance, yesterday I, I was at a church out of town and I noticed the door was open and they had posted their values in the workroom for their maintenance workers and custodians. So I kind of snuck in there, I took a photo. I'm sure they were wondering, what is this guy doing in there? And because I want to know, what are they producing here and what makes them produce the things that they're after? In the hospital, uh, you've been in the hospitals enough, Greenville Memorial, their mission statement is there, it is posted, it's to, I've seen it enough, to heal compassionately, to teach innovatively, and to improve constantly. Now, what good would it be for the Greenville hospital system to have a wonderful mission statement about healing, teaching, and improving if no one ever got out of the bed? If they were all sick and no one ever was healed, what good would that be? And this is why this value is so important. This is why we look to this value because we're asking the Holy Spirit, to produce something that is different, where there is life change in your heart and in my heart. And then that produces from the inside all of the things that we're asking you to pray and consider doing on the outside, such as coming to worship, expectantly giving of your time and of your resources, of serving or being a leader, multiplying uh, and making disciples because you're, you're leading a group of some sort. All of these things that are easy to check a box and say, yep, done that, yep, done that. We have to realize that the transformation into who Jesus wants to be becomes, uh, happens from the inside out. That's what we're going to see today. What are the things on the inside that work themselves out, that undergird all of these values that then strengthen and carry the mission. Now, our mission is to encounter God as we make disciples, encounter God, equip believers, and engage the world. But I want you to see a parallel here between the mission statement and what we want to see in you, what the Holy Spirit wants to see in me. And it's this. We want you to be 
a follower of Jesus, someone who imitates Jesus and leads others to imitate Jesus. A disciple, here's a definition for you. A disciple is someone who has been changed by Jesus, walks with Jesus, and then is sent by Jesus. And this is what the Holy Spirit is after in all of us. Someone who's been changed by Jesus as a disciple is someone who's encountered him, encountered his life-giving good news, the gospel, and continues to encounter him, and they're changed. They walk with Jesus. This fits under our mission of being equipped. They are being repaired or they are being prepared to invest in the lives of others. So as they walk with Jesus, then they are walking with others. And then finally, they are sent by Jesus. This is to engage the world around us. I wrote in the newsletter, it should be coming out over the course of the next few days or in the next week or so, that if we become what we think are disciples of Jesus, but it doesn't have an outlet in engaging lost people around us. We have a distorted view of what a true disciple is. It's to engage the world. And so as we come and understand that life transformation is more than just making us good people or healed people or good healed religious people or good healed religious people who do good things, Instead, here's the standard. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus and leading others to do the same thing? Now, what does that look like? How does that work from the inside out? All right, let's begin in Jeremiah chapter 18 this morning. Whenever this word transformation, I was walking through and working through this sermon this week, just one picture came to mind, and that is of that passage in Isaiah, and it's in Jeremiah. We're going to look at it here in Jeremiah 18, of a potter with some clay, and he's reshaping, transforming, redesigning that clay. Thought number one this morning, I'll give it to you, and then we'll look at Jeremiah chapter 18, is this. Life transformation begins through our submission to God's design, not our own design. Life transformation begins with our submission to what God designs for our life, not what we design for our lives, all right? Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 18. Look at verse 2. Listen to what it says. Arise. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Maybe some of you need to underline that passage right there. Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I love this illustration of change. 
of being redesigned. It was beautiful to see in our worship time here in this room as we sung about people who are hurting or broken and God has been faithful to them and you see the tears come, it's because you have been at that point of being soft and you're ready to be reshaped. You are broken or you are depleted. You are tired. Some of you are done. Have you been there before? I know I have. When Jeremiah the prophet walks into the potter's house, he sees the potter holding this clay. And it says it was spoiled. Some translations say it was marred. It, it, was, it, was, a, a, it was a mess. And the potter takes it and he begins to work. And God speaks to Jeremiah and says, I can do that if you only be submissive to me. I remember when I was a little boy, the first art project I did of any kind that had to do with pottery was this greenish-blue-looking thing. <laughs> and I think it, it could have been for my mom a um, toothbrush holder. It could have been a pen holder. She certainly couldn't have drunk out of it. I really don't know what it was, but all I know is we took this clay and we put it in this circular form and, and then it hardened and I came home and I brought it to my mom and of course it was really ugly. <laughs> but as moms do, they're grateful and they're thankful for what their sons and what their daughters give to them. It's all I could do. But here's the one thing I remember about that piece of pottery. It was absolutely harder than anything I've ever felt before. And there was no way other than my mom taking that pottery and throwing it on the ground and totally shattering it and breaking it that it could become anything else. And it, she wouldn't even be capable to do that because it was already too hard. But here's what God says to some of you this morning. That as you come to Taylor's and as you get involved in, in the life of this body, in order to help us carry out our values and our mission, it begins with all of us as individuals saying, we are the clay, you are the potter. And in order for this body to be submissive to God and to see God do great things through us and to fulfill the mission, it begins in the potter's house with you and me saying we're clay, we're soft. We, we need to be reshaped or redesigned. Now for some of you, some of you, it's your sin. Some of you, it, 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 it's where you just have to allow the potter to to come in and reshape you, and you repent from your sin. For some of you, it's the circumstances you're, you're going through, and you're wondering, is this going to end ever, and the potter's still working? I don't know where you are this morning. With hundreds and hundreds of people on this campus, three services, we don't know where every single heart is, but I can guarantee you this, there's something inside of you that you know the potter is looking and saying, will you just soften and, and allow me to shape you? It could be just asking someone else for forgiveness. 
could be coming to a spouse. It could be coming to a son. It could be coming to a daughter. It could be, I, I don't know what step of softening there needs to be this morning, but inside, if you were to be still before God in the potter's house, you know that just like my pottery project, it is, your heart is hard and you cannot be used. There, there, are no, there, there are no doing the values and the mission without this central truth. That God is the potter and we are the clay and he wants to design to use us in a special way. Every single one of you. Do you realize that? Every single one of you. God wants to make you something special. But Isaiah and Jeremiah come to the people and say, you're rebellious, you're stubborn, you're apathetic, you don't care. And how can you say to the potter, to the one who made you, hands off, so I urge you this morning, soften your heart. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. I told one of the, um, the doctors who was walking out of the first service this morning, there's this great song. There, there are several songs about the potter and the clay. I, I read the lyrics of one song this morning because that song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Me, just kept going through my mind as I'm going through this text and come to that, pass, that, that section where it says, um, mold me, make me, fill me, use me. It was written by a Presbyterian minister from North Carolina who was at a revival service, and of all things, a, a doctor from Columbia, because of his sermon, he goes home and he writes those words. Everything else from this point on hinges on this. Are you ready for the Holy Spirit to use you, to shape you, to redesign you for his purposes? Which brings us to the second thing this morning, and it's this, that life transformation is empowered by the Spirit. Turn over now from Jeremiah to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is an incredible book. This is an incredible passage, but let me point to just a section here where we see the word being transformed. This is, uh, there are two key passages. We're going to look at them. One in Romans 12 here in 2 Corinthians 3 where we see the word being transformed and we want to just understand what is happening there so we can uh, apply it today. So you come to, to submit your, your heart to God. Okay, work in me. How can we be transformed? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verses 16 through 18 this morning, and here is what the Word of God says. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Interesting phrase. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, here's the next step, if you will. Once we realize that life change in me, life change in Taylor's begins with a heart that is being shaped by the, by the potter, here comes this New Testament passage which says, in order for us to be transformed, to be changed, the Holy Spirit has to be at work. Now, here's, this, here's the setup for this passage really quickly here. Paul is writing to this church, and he's telling them, listen, here's the deal. You are attached to something. You are enslaved to something. 
There is a veil that is covering over your face so that you cannot see what the Spirit of God and the glory of God is doing. And the reference that he's making is to uh, when Moses comes down the mountain the second time. He goes up the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments, comes down. He sees there's this party going on. It's totally rebellious. He gets so angry, he slams the Ten Commandments down. And then he goes back up. God calls him back up again. And so he gives him a second set of the commandments. And he's coming down the mountain. And he puts a veil over his face because he has looked into the face of God. And literally his face is shining. So when he comes down, because of this veil, the people can't see that Moses has been with God. For whatever reason, Moses didn't want him to see what his face looked like. Maybe it was too bright. We don't know exactly why, but Moses covers his face so they cannot see what the glory of God has done. And so Paul comes to the church and he says, listen, listen, there's a new way now. There's no more attachment to the old ways that Moses, when he comes down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, there's no more attachment to that. Now the Holy Spirit has come, and if you Turn to the Lord, the veil will be lifted and you will be able to see the glory of God. And here's what I think that means. For some of you this morning, there is a veil over your heart and you cannot look into the glory of God. And we know this, that the glory of God is Jesus. John chapter 1. We saw him and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. We beheld his glory. So Jesus is the glory. Some of you this morning, there is a veil over your heart, and you have not looked in to see Jesus. You have not looked in to see his glory, but also his suffering for you. You see, Jesus suffered and died for your sin. Because some of you this morning have, have never really taken and looked into Christ and, and received the gospel and the veil. There's something covering your heart. There's something holding you back. There's something, maybe it's intellectually, maybe it's, maybe it's emotionally. I don't know what it is, but there's something. There's a veil covering your heart, and you do not see fully into Christ. And this morning, I can't remove that veil for you. This morning, I can't come to you and lift it up and say, look at Christ. You have to recognize by the Spirit of God what is going on in your heart and that you are apart from Christ in your sin and that you will spend eternity forever apart from him unless you turn and see the glory, the suffering, the resurrection of Jesus. And when you turn your heart, here's what the Spirit does. When the Spirit works in you and moves you and you turn to God, the veil is lifted and you gloriously see Christ. Some of you this morning have never done that. I know for a fact. Because there's way too many people here for everyone to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know where you're sitting, in this room or in the other room. Here is my heart for you, that the veil of your heart would be lifted, and you would see the glory of Christ, and you would be gloriously transformed. Now, Paul keeps going, though. He says, this is what happens when you see the glory of Christ, but there's more. He says, there's freedom. Free, you are free, not only when you turn to Christ, but as we are growing in Christ, there's freedom. 
Because the Spirit is there. Freedom from whatever it is you're shackled to. Freedom from whatever identity issues you're having. Freedom from whatever relationship problems you're having. Freedom from yourself. Freedom from others. Freedom from your sin. When the Spirit of the living God comes in, there is great freedom because he's all-powerful. And this is how transformation takes place. And Paul says then, as we are free and we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed. There it is. That word is, in the Greek, is metamorpho, metamorphosis. You know, little caterpillars turning into butterflies, little tadpoles turning into frogs. So when the, when the veil is lifted, you see the glory of the gospel. And the Spirit then transforms you, and the Spirit continually frees you. And now you are being changed from someone who is a sinner, a Apart from God, from Christ forever, you are being moved from glory to glory, step by step, as you look into the glory of Christ, as the Spirit says, here's Jesus, and I'm going to make you like him. An amazing truth. An amazing truth. It's all because of the incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I leave, the Helper's coming you wait for him. He'll give you power to be my witnesses. He said he'll give you power and will guide you and lead you into all truth. He will convict. He will challenge. It is the Spirit of God. It is the presence of God inside of every believer that points to Jesus and takes your heart and says, will you look into the mirror of the Son? And that is who I want you to be like. That is everything. And this is what the Spirit does. All right, so then how do we get there? How do we get there? Third thing this morning. Life transformation then is patterned after the word. All right, so it begins with submission. It's empowered by the spirit, but here's what happens. The spirit takes the word of God and it makes it come alive in us. And as we take in the word and as we are renewed by the word and read it and apply it, then our lives are changed. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. This is the last passage we'll look at this morning. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. And let's read this together. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be, here it is, changed, transformed, metamorphosis by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love what Paul is, tells this church when he says in Romans 1 through 11, here's the gospel, what I just shared with you. And the gospel has, has, has changed you. You've moved into a new life. But now because of that gospel, because of the mercy of God, I ask you to give your life over, to sacrifice yourself. You're walking dead men. You're walking dead women according to the will of God. And as the Spirit empowers you, then be changed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to a way of thinking or to a pattern that has you over here and being shaped by the world, shaped by your religion, shaped by your church. Instead, I want you to be transformed and shaped by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. It reminds me of last summer when we were at the beach. 
I, I normally don't watch um, shows like this. I, I watch sports and I watch politics and that's about it. But there was one of these shows that caught our attention and I don't want, know what the name of it is, but it's, it's one of those shows where you have these people who have a lot of weight and they come and they lose that weight through those trainers that I think could pass for drill sergeants and do a pretty good job. Those folks are mean. <laughs> and, and these folks come and, and we get caught up in these stories. I don't know if it was one story over several nights or several stories, but every night we were tuning in. And here was the story. These people need to lose, lose weight because of their health. But here's what you learn. It's a way of thinking that has trapped them in the pattern that they're in. And this way of thinking has caused them not only to be overweight and to threaten their health, but also this pattern is destructive to their emotions and to their relationships and to their families and to their careers. And what these people are looking for is a metamorphosis, is a transformation, is a change. And so what do they do? Yes, there are things on the outside that all of these folks have to do. They have to eat well, they have to run, and they work them out really, really hard, and, and, and they really, really put everything they got into it. But really what they're after is their thinking, is the discipline of I can do this, here's a pattern, and here is where transformation metamorphosis happens in the Christian life. It is through the being on the potter's wheel, being submissive so that the spirit can come in and empower using the pattern of this book right here, the word of God. Because it is this book that God says is alive and powerful and it is able, it is able to produce Christ-likeness in you and in me. It describes this book as a, it's a sword. It, it, it's as sharp as a two-edged sword that pierces into the bones and into the marrows and into the tendons. It's like a surgeon's scalpel that goes in and opens you up and allows you to be healed and allows you to know Christ in a way where you are whole and well. It, it, is, a, it is a book that, that gives us hope and encouragement because we see how God worked through history and we see how God worked through people and how God works in us and, and we know where the story is going. God's word gives us the map, not only of where God has been, but where God is going with his people. It, it's, a, it's a guide to help us live it is, the, it is the means by which the Spirit produces Christ-likeness in us. It is the pattern by which we are, not con, we are not shaped according to our own desires, but to God's desires. So here is our heart for you as we go through these values and through our mission. In order for the people of God to carry out the mission of God, they must be a people who are shaped by the Word of God. That the word of God has to be something that is just not preached every week regularly. It's just not taught in your life group. And those are good things. We, we encourage that. We love that. We affirm that. The word of God is central. We lift up the word. Here in this service, we lift up the word of God in your community groups or in your life groups. But you know what? We need to go further. The word of God has to be something that you take for yourself and you read and you digest. And we pray that as we go through our vision and values, the word of God becomes something that is not a spectator sport for you, but the word of God is something that radically changes your life because 
It will change your thinking and it will change your pattern of living. Fourth this morning, how is all this tied together? Life transformation is sustained through prayer. Through prayer. For it is prayer that ties these first three things together. We see in the New Testament how Jesus prayed, how his disciples prayed, how the church prayed. And here is what is linked together. It is the dependency and brokenness and need of a people. Is that where you are this morning? The brokenness, the dependency, the sin, the need of a people. With what the word of God says about my brokenness and what it says about my sin and what the word of God says about my life with the spirit of God that can forgive and with the spirit of God that can transform and change me. And prayer is what ties those things together. That when I come to God in prayer, whether it's corporately, when I come to God in prayer privately, in those morning hours or sitting at my desk at lunch or with my family, when I'm coming to God, here is what I'm doing. I'm linking my dependency and need with the power of the Spirit and the pattern of the Word in order for God to change me for that moment, in order for God to change my life. And then finally, here's the final thing this morning. Life transformation is practiced in community. The church. Life transformation is practiced in community. You don't live in your cocoon alone or you shouldn't. Life transformation is something that is practiced in the body of Christ. We see this in Acts chapter 2 where these incredible believers who we're transformed by the gospel, and where do we find them? We, ha- we find them in community with one another. We find them sitting under the word of God. We find them sharing everything together. We find them practicing love. We find them practicing care. We find them practicing truth and grace with one another. Ultimately, those churches as they're in community with one another, and as the spirit and prayer and the word of God moves, they begin to plant churches. They begin to go out. And the gospel moves from Jerusalem, it moves from its self-contained place there into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to it reaches you and me, all because life transformation of people as it moves into communities fulfills the mission of Jesus. And this is what we long for you and what we long for our church. That life transformation just isn't something that happens to you alone, but life transformation happens to you so that you walk into the community and with great love begin to love the community and make it stronger so that we can fulfill these values and this mission and fulfill Jesus' plan for his church. I love the quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I was at this conference yesterday. I picked up a, a little book by Bonhoeffer called Life Together. I just started flipping through it. And I found a, a quote online reading about the book. I haven't got to it yet. found this great quote about community. Bonhoeffer was a German minister who was executed in the uh, concentration camps just before the camp was liberated and free because he spoke out against Hitler and the Nazis. And he writes in this book on life together, on community. I love this quote. It says this, The person who loves their dream of community will destroy the community. Now, you could put in um, the person who loves their dream of their home, their dream 
of their home or of their marriage or of their children or of their grandchildren or of their career. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. I thought that was great. These values won't create the community and fulfill the mission. It is people who have been transformed by the Spirit, the Word, and prayer who love one another that will create the community that will carry out these values and the mission of Jesus. So what about you this morning? Where has the Spirit spoken to you? Do you still have a veil over your heart to the incredibly good news of Christ and his glory and his suffering and his resurrection and his power? Some of you this morning, here's the next step for you when we sing here and in the, worship, in the uh, modern worship service there in the fellowship hall. Here's the next step. Some of you, need to just step forward and say, Pastor, I need to be changed. Some of you this morning, maybe the commitment to our vision and our values is simply a commitment to the Spirit to allow your heart to be softened. And that next step might be coming and praying with one of the ministers, but that next step might be on your face before God at home crying out for forgiveness or crying out for help and then allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you into those next steps of reconciliation or forgiveness, those next steps of direction, those next steps of faith, all because we want to see people who are changed into the person of Jesus who lead others to be changed in the person of Jesus as well. The mission of Jesus is at stake when the individual followers of Jesus don't allow the Spirit to work in them. May the Spirit work in all of us, in me, this morning. Let's pray right now. Father, we, we close our time here and we close our time with this sermon series. looking at Jesus as he says to us, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And for some, this next step, Father, is to follow Jesus for the very first time, to take those first steps in knowing him and being forgiven. For others, Father, this is a process of following him where, where they have gotten off the path, where they no longer are following him. They're, 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 they're sitting by the wayside, but Jesus continually calls by his spirit, and I pray they will hear. And their hearts, instead of hardened clay or marred or disfigured clay, would be soft and pliable before the Lord, and there would be a heart that is ready to see the Spirit move and work and to change.
So, Lord, hear our prayer this morning. We need you. This church needs you. This pastor needs you. May we all be like Christ, and we pray this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.